0: Chapter twenty six of I Say No. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I Say No by Wilkie Collins. Chapter twenty six Mother Eve. The servant received Emily on her return from the library with a sly smile. Here he is again, miss, waiting to see you. She opened the parlor door and revealed Alban Morris as restless as ever walking up and down the room when i missed you at the museum i was afraid you might be ill he said ought i to have gone away when my anxiety was relieved shall i go away now you must take a chair mr morris and hear what i have to say for myself when you left me after your last visit i suppose i felt the force of example at any rate I, like you, had my suspicions. I have been trying to confirm them, and I have failed. He paused, with the chair in his hand. Suspicions of me? he asked. Certainly. Can you guess how I have been employed for the last two days? No. Not even your ingenuity can do that. I have been hard at work, in another reading-room— "'consulting the same back numbers of the same newspaper "'which you have been examining at the British Museum. "'There is my confession, and now we will have some tea.' "'She moved to the fireplace to ring the bell, "'and failed to see the effect produced on Alban "'by those lightly uttered words. "'The common phrase is the only phrase that can describe it. "'He was thunderstruck.' "'Yes,' she resumed, I have read the report of the inquest. If I know nothing else, I know that the murder at Zeeland can't be the discovery which you are bent on keeping from me. Don't be alarmed for the preservation of your secret. I am too much discouraged to try again. The servant interrupted them by answering the bell. Alban once more escapes detection. Emily gave her orders with an approach to the old gaiety of her school days tea as soon as possible, and let us have the new cake. Are you too much of a man, Mr. Morris, to like cake?' In this state of agitation he was unreasonably irritated by that playful question. "'There is one thing I like better than cake,' he said, and that one thing is a plain explanation.' His tone puzzled her. "'Have I said anything to offend you?' she asked surely you can make allowances for a girl's curiosity oh you shall have your explanation and what is more you shall have it without reserve she was as good as her word what she had thought and what she had planned when he left her after his last visit was frankly and fully told if you wondered how I discovered the library she went on I must refer you to my aunt's lawyer he lives in the city and I wrote to him to help me. I don't consider that my time has been wasted. Mr. Morris, we owe an apology to Mrs. Rook." Alban's astonishment when he heard this forced its way to expression in words. "'What can you possibly mean?' he asked. The tea was brought in before Emily could reply. She filled the cups and sighed as she looked at the cake. "'If Cecilia was here, How she would enjoy it! With that complimentary tribute to her friend, she handed a slice to Alban. He never even noticed it. "'We have both of us behaved most unkindly to Mrs. Rook,' she resumed. "'I can excuse your not seeing it, for I should not have seen it either but for the newspaper. While I was reading, I had an opportunity of thinking over what we said and did— when the poor woman's behaviour so needlessly offended us. I was too excited to think at the time. And besides, I had been upset only the night before by what Miss Jethro said to me. Alban started. What has Miss Jethro to do with it? he asked. Nothing at all, Emily answered. She spoke to me of her own private affairs. A long story, and you wouldn't be interested in it. Let me finish what I had to say. Mrs. Rook was naturally reminded of the murder when she heard that my name was Brown, and she must certainly have been struck, as I was, by the coincidence of my father's death taking place at the same time when his unfortunate namesake was killed. Doesn't this sufficiently account for her agitation when she looked at the locket? We first took her by surprise, and then we suspected her of heaven knows what, because the poor creature didn't happen to have her wits about her, and to remember at the right moment what a very common name James Brown is. Don't you see it as I do? I see that you have arrived at a remarkable change of opinion, since we spoke of the subject in the garden at school. In my place you would have changed your opinion too— I shall write to Mrs. Rook by to-morrow's post." Alban heard her with dismay. "'Pray be guided by my advice,' he said earnestly. "'Pray don't write that letter.' "'Why not?' It was too late to recall the words which he had rashly allowed to escape him. How could he reply? To own that he had not only read what Emily had read but had carefully copied the whole narrative, and considered it as his leisure, appeared to be simply impossible after what he had now heard. Her peace of mind depended absolutely on his discretion. In this serious emergency silence was a mercy, and silence was a lie. If he remained silent, might the mercy be trusted to atone for the lie? He was too fond of Emily to decide that question fairly on its own merits. In other words, he shrank from the terrible responsibility of telling her the truth. Isn't the imprudence of writing to such a person as Mrs. Rook plain enough to speak for itself? He suggested cautiously. Not to me! She made that reply rather obstinately. Alban seemed, in her view, to be trying to prevent her for atoning for an act of injustice. Besides, he despised her cake. "'I want to know why you object,' she said, taking back the neglected slice and eating it herself. "'I object,' Alban answered, "'because Mrs. Rook is a coarse, presuming woman. She may pervert your letters to some use of her own, which you may have reason to regret.' is that all? Isn't it enough? It may be enough for you. When I have done a person an injury, and wish to make an apology, I don't think it necessary to inquire whether the person's manners happen to be vulgar or not. Alban's patience was still equal to any demands that she could make on it. I can only offer you advice which is honestly intended for your own good, he genuinely replied you would have more influence over me mr morris if you were a little readier to take me into your confidence i dare say i am wrong but i don't like following advice which is given to me in the dark it was impossible to offend him very naturally he said i don't blame you her colour deepened and her voice rose alban's patient adherence to his own view so courteously and so considerably urged, was beginning to try her temper. "'In plain words,' she rejoined, "'I am to believe that you can't be mistaken in your judgment of another person.' There was a ring at the door of the cottage while she was speaking, but she was too warmly interested in confronting Alban to notice it. He was quite willing to be confronted. Even when she lost her temper she was still interesting to him. "'I don't expect you to think me infallible,' he said. "'Perhaps you will remember that I have had some experience. I am unfortunately older than you are.' "'Oh, if wisdom comes with age!' she smartly reminded him. "'Your friend, Miss Redwood, is old enough to be your mother, and she suspected Mrs. Rook of murder because the poor woman looked at a door!' and disliked being in the next room to a fidgety old maid alban's manner changed he shrank from that chance allusion to doubts and fears which he dare not acknowledge let us talk of something else he said she looked at him with a saucy smile have i driven you into a corner at last and is that your way of getting out of it even his endurance failed "'Are you trying to provoke me?' he asked. "'And you know better than other women. "'I wouldn't have believed it of you, Emily.' "'Emily!' she repeated the name in a tone of surprise, "'which reminded him that he had addressed her with familiarity "'at a most inappropriate time, "'the time when they were on the point of a quarrel. "'He felt the implied reproach "'too keenly to be able to answer her with composure. "'I think if Emily i love emily my one hope is that emily may love me oh my dear is there no excuse if i forget to call you miss when you distress me all that was tender and true in her nature secretly took his part she would have followed that better impulse if he had only been calm enough to understand her momentary silence and to give her time but the temper of a gentleman and a generous man once roused, is slow to subside. Alban abruptly left his chair. "'I had better go,' he said. "'As you please,' she answered. "'Whether you go, Mr. Morris, or whether you stay, I shall write to Mrs. Rook.'" The ring of the bell was followed by the appearance of a visitor. Dr. Allday opened the door, just in time to hear Emily's last words. Her vehemence seemed to amuse him. "'Who is Mrs. Rook?' he asked. "'A most respectable person,' Emily answered indignantly. "'Housekeeper to Sir Jervis Redwood, you needn't sneer at her doctor all day. She has not always been in service. She was landlady of the inn at Zeeland.' The doctor, about to put his hat on a chair, paused the inn at zealand reminded him of the handbill and of the visit of miss jethro why are you so hot over it he inquired because i detest prejudice with this assertion of liberal feeling she pointed to alban standing quietly apart at the further end of the room there is the most prejudiced man living he hates mrs rook would you like to be introduced to him you're a philosopher you may do him some good dr Alday, mr alban morris the doctor recognized the man with the felt hat with the objectionable beard whose personal appearance had not impressed him favorably although they may hesitate to acknowledge it there are respectable englishmen still left who regard a felt hat and a beard as symbols of republican disaffection to the altar and the throne dr allday's manner might have expressed this curious form of patriotic feeling but for the associations which emily had revived in his present frame of mind he was outwardly curious because he was inwardly suspicious mrs rook had been described to him as formerly landlady of the inn at zeeland Were there reasons for Mr. Morris's hostile feeling toward this woman, which might be referable to the crime committed in her house, that might threaten Emily's tranquillity, if they were made known? It would not be amiss to see a little more of Mr. Morris, on the first convenient occasion. "'I am glad to make your acquaintance, sir.' "'You are very kind, Dr. Alday.' The exchange of polite conventionalities having been accomplished, Alban approached Emily to take his leave with mingled feelings of regret and anxiety. Regret for having allowed himself to speak harshly, anxiety to part with her in kindness. Will you forgive me for differing from you? It was all he could venture to say in the presence of a stranger. Oh, yes. She said quietly, Will you think again before you decide? Certainly, Mr. Morris, but it won't alter my opinion if I do. The doctor, hearing what passed between them, frowned. On what subject had they been differing? And what opinion did Emily decline to alter? Alban gave it up. He took her hand gently shall i see you at the museum to-morrow he asked she was politely indifferent to the last yes unless something happens to keep me at home the doctor's eyebrows still expressed disapproval for what object was the meeting proposed and why at a museum good afternoon dr Alday. good afternoon sir for a moment after alban's departure The doctor stood irresolute. Arriving suddenly at a decision, he snatched up his hat and turned to Emily in a hurry. "'I bring you news, my dear, which will surprise you. Who do you think has just left my house?' "'Mrs. L. Mother. Don't interrupt me. She has made up her mind to go out to service again. Tired of leading an idle life, that's her own account of it. And asks me to act as her reference did you consent consent if I act as her reference I shall be asked how she came to leave her last place a nice dilemma either I must own that she deserted her mistress on her deathbed or tell a lie when I put it to her in that way she walked out of the house in dead silence if she applies to you next receive her as i did or decline to see her which would be better still why am i to decline to see her in consequence of her behaviour to your aunt to be sure no i have said all i wanted to say and i have no time to spare for answering idle questions good-bye socially speaking Doctors try the patience of their nearest and dearest in this respect. They are almost always in a hurry. Dr. Aldo's precipitate departure did not tend to soothe Emily's irritated nerves. She began to find excuses for Mrs. Ellmother in a spirit of pure contradiction. The old servant's behavior might admit of justification. A friendly welcome might persuade her to explain herself. If she applies to me, Emily determined, I shall certainly receive her. Having arrived at this resolution, her mind reverted to Alburn. Some of the sharp things she had said to him, subjected to after reflection in solitude, failed to justify themselves. Her better sense began to reproach her. She tried to silence that unwelcome monitor by laying the blame on Alban. Why had he been so patient and so good? What harm was there in his calling her Emily? If he had told her to call him by his Christian name, she might have done it. How noble he looked when he got up to go away. He was actually handsome. Women may say what they please, and write what they please. Their natural instinct is to find their master in a man, especially when they like him. Sinking lower and lower in her own estimation, Emily tried to turn the current of her thoughts in another direction. She took up a book, opened it, looked into it, threw it across the room. If Alban had returned at that moment, resolved on a reconciliation, if he had said, My dear, I want to see you like yourself again, will you give me a kiss and make it up? Would he have left her crying when he went away? She was crying now. End of chapter 26